You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. today's episode of Max's Island, I've got Nick Lim with me. Nick, I tell all the guests, this is your opportunity to tell us that time when you did something a little bit different, against the grain, did something for yourself, or life just imposed itself on you and things happened that might have been unpredictable. Can you tell our listeners when that might have happened to you? Sure. So I've been someone that's fairly afraid of... uh I've been caught out not knowing enough and it's led me to be a fairly studious academic type kind of collecting information um what it's also led me to be is kind of sometimes avoiding leadership positions or taking accountability in times where i probably should be or could be or would be the best place to do so now that's really interesting nick because i met you <laughs> the first time i ever met you you were in a leadership position within mm. an an organisation, a community organisation. So I'm really interested to to hear some of the background to that. Yeah, sure, sure. So I've always waited to be called upon and most of the time because I'm really interested in leadership and, and motivation and teams, I found myself to be in that place. But I'm always looking for endorsement, authority, someone else to say, you're the right person. Very rarely am I saying, pick me, I'm the best at it. Were you the captain of any team at high school? Mate, I was, <laughs> just as I was saying, I was pretty much selected by my peers to be the um, head boy at school. Uh, I was captain of my hockey club, of my hockey team. I was a leader in my uh, church community. But in every single one of those circumstances, because someone else has said, we think you're the guy. And that's kind of let me be a bit of a scapegoat. Because it means I don't step up in the space that I really could be. I'm always looking for the perfect opportunity where all the conditions are right for me to succeed. So where's the story behind that then? Yeah, so I was actually doing a professional, a personal development course uh, probably about four years ago now. And we're about two and a half days through the course and the course is about taking accountability. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, got it. Uh, I really understand this. I'm going to go back and make some changes. And what I didn't realize is that uh, the course was the change. <laughs> is that right? 
and uh, and had you chosen to go on that course, yeah. or had someone encouraged you to go on that course? Oh, my wife, my now wife, encouraged me to go on the course. I, I went kicking and screaming. I think. So this was an occasion where intuitively you didn't go there, but again, you were encouraged to go there. Absolutely, yeah. Hey Nick, here's somewhere that you'll succeed. You should do that. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> and it's really, really straightforward. Uh, we were supposed to take accountability for our teams to complete a task. And one of the teams didn't complete that task. One of the team members in that team failed. Uh, and then so were asked to be to explain. And then the team, the rest of the team were called up and they were asked to explain why they'd let that person down. And then the leader said, you know what? Now that that person doesn't take accountability and the team doesn't take accountability... You're all here to learn about accountability, but no one's doing it, so I'm out. And in front of an audience of 150 people, the lead left the stage. And I was like, as a psychologist, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. That's a really good point. You're intellectualizing it, you know, taking myself out of the game. And I knew what had to be done. I knew someone had to jump on the mic and take the leadership. So, um, but no one had asked me. So I leant behind to a fairly well-spoken gentleman and said, oh, you should go up and jump on the mic. And he was like, I don't understand. And I pushed him. I said, go and speak on the mic. This is going to make a difference. So he got up there and, uh, and I thought, yeah, well, this will sort it out. And he was bumbling his way through, trying to sort it out. And, and when you say he was well-spoken, so in a small group you'd been talking and he was very before. articulate. Yep. Yeah, he spoke before. He was an actor and I thought he was really insightful. I thought that's a good guy for the job. I gave away my accountability again. And then within seconds of him speaking up there, I realized I'd just done it again. This is what I do all the time. I'm waiting for someone else to push me because it's going to be absolutely perfect. I know I'm going to nail it. And I realized I just gave it away again. And so what felt like it was five minutes of him speaking was probably about 30 seconds in reality. And I jumped up to the microphone and... Um, I don't know if this is a child-rated version, but I said, everybody, shut the fuck up, really loudly, to a room of 200 people I'd never met before. And growing up in a Christian, very, like, um, sensible, kind of part Chinese family, that sort of behavior is totally unacceptable. (laughs) And uh, to my surprise, I was eloquent, I was very well-spoken, but also... I just instantaneously expanded and I realized actually it's on me now and I'm the person that gives me permission to be accountable and no one else does and I can be what's needed when it's required even if I don't understand what it's going to look like. A couple of questions. Firstly, where do you think the shut the fuck up came from? (laughs) I'm really interested in that because if it's not a norm for your childhood then wonder where that came from. Yeah, because I operate, as I said before, a lot from my head. I'm quite a, a studious character. And um, and I talk about things from an intellectual perspective, but really from the gut. Because I've you know pre-thought this, I've strategized my way through it. And at that moment, there was no strategizing. There was no planning or scripting. It was all bang, straight from the gut, say what needs to be said, and then deal with the consequences. I'm always interested about people's feelings. Mm. How did you feel when you were up there? At the the moment, probably there was a couple of moments. One, when you first got up there. Mm. Secondly, when the crowd were quiet. And then thirdly, at the end of your time on stage. Yeah. I. Uh, another reason why I've shirked 
leadership is because I've always thought that it's lame. Look at me, everybody. Never wanted to be, I want to be in the spotlight. But through that experience, I realized I was just the mouthpiece for the group. And that's what gave me even more, a greater sense of power and also authenticity. I was being true to my word. I was speaking from the heart and I made a real difference. And people came up to me afterwards, after about half an hour <laughs> sorting it out. And they said, wow, Nick, that was amazing. And I kind of stepped off cloud nine. And I was like, yeah, I just did that. And that was a 30-minute experience to me. But what it led to was I took significant steps in my own life personally to, yeah, and in work to say yes. And not even before I said, said yes, not even wait for the question. So I ran 12 week-long co-design workshops all around the world. And that power that I experienced, that expansion, wasn't lame. Look at me, everybody. It was I'm what is needed for this moment. So that was obviously a significant pivotal moment. And then going around and doing the 12 co-design scenarios. How did you then approach things differently? And, and where were the opportunities to approach things differently? Yeah, it's, it's come out in different ways over the last couple of years. Uh, one example is of a, a little program I started during COVID called Come Cook With Me. It's a cooking class to raise funds for charity. And we were supposed to be streaming live, uh, charging people $10. They get to interact with me on the live stream and cook at the same time. It's a pretty easy concept, but I never knew how hard it would be to actually deliver that. And... Uh, I could have waited for someone else. I could have asked someone else's permission. But I was... And it's it's not... I wasn't bolshy or anything, but I was just confident. And we pulled off five episodes, raising about $8,000. And I'd connected numerous charities with um, with people around the world, as well as restaurants that were really struggling. Uh, and can I say, the first episode, we booked for the month following that date, and I'd never even streamed live. I'd never even turned my phone on Facebook and said hi to anyone. Uh, you just said around the world. Where did you stream to? And how many were in the audience? Yeah, well, one time we had about 340 people. And there were people from the UK, from uh, Japan, Malaysia, deep south of the of Amer of the USA. I remember that was a strange person, strange person dialing in because the hours were as you can imagine, really challenging. Country Victoria. Yeah, what, what it taught me is that um, I can be whatever I want to be, but it takes guts, determination and being a stand. So it sounds like you're starting to understand that there's this threshold point that you need to leap over. Mm. And once you're in that space, then uh, you can as assume that role and, and are more confident. So what other experiences have you found that allow you the opportunity to do that? Yeah, um, so just briefly, one expression of that was um, during those, back to those workshops, uh, it was Thursday in the workshop and if you've done workshops, you know that Thursday is a killer day because you're just about, just about over the five days, but you're exhausted, they're exhausted. And so I created Anything's Possible Thursday where I'd wear this crazy shirt and I was thinking to myself, this is crazy. I'm working in one of the lar world's largest mining companies wearing a floral shirt convincing everyone that I know what I'm talking about in finance. And again, I realized my 
not my feelings. If I truly followed exactly what my feelings said, I probably wouldn't have done it. That was my conviction, and it's something deeper than that. And I wore this Anything's Possible Thursday shirt, and most Thursdays I'll still continue it. And it's a practice that I maintain because it shows me that I'm the determination of myself, not a reaction to fear or to uh, avoidance of judgment. So that's one example. Uh, another example is with my Rotary Club. I had to make some big decisions to pivot how we were operating. And not to get into the, the gory detail of it all, but you can guess it, some people didn't want to change. And even though it's a small group of people, it only takes a small group of people to, to make your life hell. <laughs> and I really had to commit, commit to my conviction and hold true to what I thought was possible. So what was the change that you're proposing? Um, so technically Cause, speaking... Because Rotary is pretty traditional. You know, there's a pretty traditional hierarchy and structure that most Rotary clubs, from what I understand, operate under. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's exactly that. I, I kind of blew the hierarchy out of the water and I dissolved the, the structure. So what does that look like? Technically, it means that I created an f- absolute flat structure on the board not relying on one single person to give the clear direction. I did away, well, we did away with set meeting times, which seemed to be the defining feature of Rotary Clubs, but everyone went through COVID and everyone knows that you don't have to have a meeting to to represent you. And we did away with annual planning and set up quarterly planning, some targets that are a bit more realistic and achievable. And it sounds like a, a simple things to change, but with people that are familiar with a certain way of doing things they're comfortable it caused a lot of pain to some people and having compassion as well as a commitment to um, to what needed to be done I was able to hold the space to allow people to to vent and also us to move through that and now we're just about double the size we were when I took over and and our team are coming up with amazing ideas on their own and taking accountability for themselves and I guess it comes back to my pointing my, my point at the start around accountability. I was taking accountability, and the shadow that I was casting was, well, has led to other people taking their own accountability. What was the framework that that changed? What what, what did you introduce that was different? Um, you know, you said it was flat structure, but there yeah, might be a broader framework around. Oh, it's that. called a holacracy. Yep. Yeah. So with that. Yep. So self-governed teams, and also looking of being very intentional about the culture we're setting up so so i i i don't really believe in four words to find a culture uh, behavior defines a culture and one of the behaviors that was trying to eradicate was guilt so just being okay with people saying no and making it safe for people to say i'm busy actually getting excited by that it's like yeah you are busy and we appeal to busy people completely flipping that on its on its head making it um yeah as i said making it a safe place for people to be whoever they wanted to be because the way i understand holacracy is that there's also some structure in the sense of some some rules or you know, they call it yep. a constitution yep which does get everybody onto the same page and, yes and they can work within a framework but it's within that framework that there's the ability to to self-govern and self-motivate and, and create your own outcomes. Absolutely. So so what we're talking about um, is a shift away from compliant dependence culture into a uh, beyond achievement culture and into a co-creating one. Uh, and that's hard for people to imagine because if you've spent your life waiting for someone to tell you what to do and I say, I don't know what we're doing, 
they're like, well, what sort of leader are you? <laughs> um, if you've spent your life wanting to uh, attend a set structure of meetings and then someone's saying, well, I'm not hosting any meetings, but you can if you want to, it flies in the face of what they see as value. So, and then we have a couple of apps that we use, but, but basically you say to our members, what do you want to do? What events do you want to host? It's, you know, it's not up to me to pick, you pick. And then if you pick them, you do them. <laughs> uh, I'm not a uh, projects machine. Um, we're in this together. And, uh, and the other side of that is accountability. So uh, something else I, I think about is Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. And it all starts with uh, vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, people won't trust you. And uh, the next level is conflict. If you don't have safe conflict, you've got an artificial harmony uh, where people aren't saying what's needed to be said. And the next to that is accountability. If you're not holding people accountable, then no one actually values their word. And so that was the framing that, that I used to establish a new way of working. I can understand how people would be confronted by that. <laughs> it's fantastic that you've stuck to your guns and have been able to achieve, you know, as you said, double the membership. Mm. I'm really interested in the quarterly strategy Yep. As opposed to a sort of a year-long strategy. Yep. Do you think the quarterly made it easier for people to take accountability? That they could see that they would do something in a quarter and, and therefore it was much easier to be accountable for it than perhaps the sense of that commitment might have been for 12 months? Yeah. So when you're running a, an organisation that is full of volunteers, the um, reward and motivation mechanisms that you see in corporate business or in a for-profit, don't exist. You, I can't pay people to show up the same or to deliver on a set of goals. Uh, in fact, um, their time is their gift to, back to me. So if we set a set of targets for a year, if we look out over a year, you can say, I want X number of, of events, X number of fundraising, but it stays at the wrong level of planning. It stays too high. Uh, then you come back six months later and you go, oh, shit, what do we plan for? Oh, that figure... Well, how do we know the circumstances change? My, I'm, I'm busy now. I can't do that. So all of a sudden, you've got people being held accountable for someone else's targets or even worse, being held accountable for their own targets when their own life changes. So what we did was we shifted it to a quarterly planning session um, and we use a lean business canvas to spin up six project ideas and they're really exciting, they're really energizing and, uh, and I framed them as a prototype. This is just a practice. This is this is just a trial run. Don't think that you're perfecting anything because as soon as you get into perfection mindset, you're gone. Um, life and projects and work, from my belief, is a practice. So we spin up those projects and they, they're, they're much more tactical, clearer, and because they're in a shorter time frame, people have a bit more uh, certainty about their, their time commitment. So you mentioned before that you believe at actions and process and just doing things determine culture or have a great influence on culture mm. this prototyping fast failing fast achievement has that changed the culture dramatically for the club or has it been a, a slow evolution i think the club has always been around uh, that kind of high energy excited excitement um, but the structure and ways of working didn't align to that I think we are allowing it to come back to to, to honour its core core values, really. We just didn't have the right expression. It's definitely been a journey, but us taking the pedal off of 
you know, be here, show up every single meeting to, hey, no, you said you were going to deliver on that um, to source those materials for this event. There's still, quote unquote, pressure, but it's in a different place. Mm. And so have you had any outside feedback from the Rotary world, the general environment, others that might um, (laughs) see this as being, you know, too non-traditional? Yeah, so uh, I was just at the Rotary District Conference where there's 500 so Rotarians from um, Esperance to Kananara. And when people ask me about the club, um, I have a fairly provocative way of describing it. Uh, I put it back on them and I say, on your board, how many cost centres and how many profit centres are there? And they look at me like, what? And I said, well, how do you, you know, make money? How do you deliver value? And I think about it and go, oh, well, projects for the community and, and members. Sure. So how many people on the board do you have as cost centres? <laughs> you start to do the numbers. You're like, oh, we invest like two-thirds more of our leadership capacity on the things that drain us than on the things that get us value. And that's what we did with our club. We stripped communications, partnerships, strategy, all of that away and just said, you're as a director, you're accountable for two things. Membership, building a team, and uh, and projects. Creating impact. Creating impact. And that's why we've seen an explosion on our membership base. Um, we've just uh, inducted the Deputy Lord Mayor of the City of Perth and the General Manager of the Law Society WA. Not to name significant names, but we're attracting a broad range of, uh, of people. So when you ask me, has it got interest? Yes, Um District governors and kind of leaders have come around and attended our planning meetings and said, wow, this is great. This is what we should be doing. And then they come back together and there's no action or fear sets back in, I guess. And uh, and I think the other thing is um, we're measuring ourselves on a different different set of measures. When I met lots of Rotarians, they said, oh, when is your meeting? And I said, well, how is that the measure of value? Like, do I need to tell you when a meeting time is for you to know that we're a successful club? Maybe I should talk to you about the impact in the community and the funds that we've raised. I don't really get interested about telling you when my meeting time is or which speaker I'm inviting. In fact, I don't invite, really, we rarely invite any speakers along to it because other people do that better than us. So it sounds like the Rotary Club has really moved forward. In terms of just going back one step to, and perhaps we can sort of close on this, what other personal opportunities do you, and I don't want to, you to give away your, some of your goals and publicly, but it's up to you if you want to. But what do you think your next thing you were going to step over that threshold and put yourself out there and, and take the initiative? Um, that's a really good question. I was just looking at my notepad and I was like, oh, <laughs> crap, I didn't put anything like that down. i got to say I'm, I'm quite an optimist and inside of that I'm a hustler. So each time I meet an opportunity, there's a possibility for something else coming from that. Um, I didn't get onto this, but one of the other things I really believe in is is having nothing in your future because most of the time your future is full of expectations from your past. And if I can clear my future of all doubts or perceptions of how good I can be or not, I get back to a blank slate. And then when something crosses my path, I can truly be present and uh, and create value for that moment. I think that's uh, really important. You know, we, we hear a lot about being present and listeners to this podcast would have had um, heard many of my guests talk about that, being, being present and, and having 
you know, that whole sense of self-actualization. The one thing, though, that is a thread through so many of the people I've had on the podcast, especially, you know, those that have had um, massive achievements or massive changes, it is about being able to take full advantage of an opportunity. And the only reason they've been able to do that is because they've been present at that point in time to be able to assess it, to be able to take it and grab hold of it and then do something with it. So there is some value in certainly being aware that there is a space out there. There is, you know, you're, you're holding the space for an opportunity to come in and when that comes in, the one that really appeals to you, you're more likely to grab. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Someone else gave me the title of a community whisperer and I really like the idea of that because uh, usually I find community and then can, um, or kind of the spark of community and I can help stoke that. I would love to uh, have a podcast of my own, Tony. You really inspire me. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. You know, we're sitting in a little alcove in a beautiful foyer uh, and having a really fascinating conversation. Um, so putting something there out something out there into the universe, uh, I'd love to have a podcast of my own. You know, I call it creating art. Um, the art is the conversation. It is the legacy piece of what, people who are going to listen to this will get out of it and will take away and what may influence them to to impact their lives or, or just something for them to think about mm. so nick thanks very much for being on max's island really enjoyed the chat it's really um, been a very thoughtful and honest uh, podcast and, and interview so um, thanks for joining us and hopefully you know one day you can come back on the island and tell us how great your Rotary Club is when it's the number one Rotary Club in WA. <laughs> and right back at you, maybe you can be one of my first guests on my, my podcast. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> Thanks for being on Max's Island. Thanks. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how How had it turned out this way He told me his plan A short term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone No one to blame If he finished Or fell by the
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and 